Get your Bibles open if you would. Uh, I'm going to be in Colossians 3. I'm finishing up the Happy Camper, Camper Series today. Next week we'll have a little special surprise for you. Following week we're going to have a standalone message on, uh, on spiritual authority and leadership. We're going to be putting some leaders in place uh, for us to serve as serving in the body of Christ. It's going to be a great, great Sunday. Um, but let me finish up Happy Campers. Anybody get anything out of this beside me? I mean, I, I, uh, I have been encouraged. Uh, and uh, I hope you have too. And I hope you know that's one of the selfish things that gets to happen as a pastor is I try never to preach on anything that God's not currently rocking me in. I find that it's more interesting that way. Uh, it's also more anointed that way. Uh, when you're, How many of you find it to be true? Like Amr's testimony uh, from communion today. When God speaks to you about... Just hold my finger. <laughs> you don't even have to try getting your hand in mine. Trust me, God's hand is so big we have a hard time with that, right? But just, just hold my little finger. Those are bits of revelation that come from the heart of God that are powerful and speak to all of us. And so I hope you've been spoken to uh, during this series as I have been. Um, one of the things we chatted about last week, we focused actually on Colossians 3 verse 1. And I'm going to read that. If you've got your Bibles, open them up. I want to read Colossians chapter 3, the first four verses here. I'm reading, I'm, this time I'm sharing from the Amplified Version. I wanted to hit it from a little bit different perspective. It says, therefore, if, or of course since, it's talking about not if as a question, but since as an established fact, since you've been raised with Christ to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your mind and keep it focused habitually on the things above. That is, heavenly things. Not on things that are on the earth, which have only a temporal value. For you died, past tense, to this world. And your new, that is your real life, is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. I think the New Living says you will share in all of his glory. Isn't that awesome? Last week we established uh, an important principle. We said that when it starts off with therefore or since, it's reminding us of some things that have already taken place that should impact the way we're living right now. And I shared last week, isn't it amazing if we could see the world, this world, this temporal world, this passing world, if we could see it through God's lens, through God's eyes, through God's worldview, the purpose of that is to change the way we react so that we're not constantly living in reaction to what's going on around us, but that we're seated in heavenly places. We've actually been resurrected with Christ. Can anybody say hallelujah? Uh, resurrected with Christ. The old has passed away. New life inside of us. We're not the same person that we once were. We're changed. We have a new heart motivation. And anybody in this room that's been truly born again, you can attest to the fact that God has turned you inside out. Not that we don't have to still struggle with self-centeredness. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or fear, or unbelief, or all these things. We still struggle with these things. We're human. We, got, we still have to put our carnal nature to death. But how many of you can agree with me at the core of who you are? You're a changed person. You're not living for you any longer. You're not living. It's not all about you. You've had, your heart's been opened up. It's been turned inside out. And now we begin to live free. We begin to gradually understand as we put our faith in the Lord what it is to live like a son or a daughter. I had a great discussion with somebody just this past week 
this whole revelation of moving from slavery to sonship, moving from being an orphan where you don't have anybody to care for you, no dad, to where you understand you are no longer an orphan. You are a son of God Almighty. How many know that revelation just rocks you? It changes you. It transforms you. It's not an instant transformation. It's a gradual transformation. But we have to learn what it is to be have the chains of sin broken off of us so we no longer have to be in bondage to that. That right there is a revelation for somebody here this morning. If you're struggling with sin, you no longer have to be a slave. That is good news. Some of you out here, you were slaves to certain addictions or bondages that kept you literally with your face in the mud for all your life, living under what God has for you. The, 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 re, the revelation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ means you are not a, a slave to sin any longer, period. You're not a victim. Stop making excuses, right? We don't have to live under sin. We live above sin. That's the beauty of the resurrection. But we also shared last week, and this is incredible, we have been seated with Christ in heavenly places now. This is stunning to think about what this actually means. And we tried to unpackage that. Of course, Jesus is seated. Why is he seated? Because his work is through. His, his offering on our behalf was accepted. He is the only high priest that has ever been allowed to take a seat. Everybody else had to stay on their feet because the work of atonement was never fully completed. But Jesus Christ is seated. That means when he said, it is finished... He means it. It is finished. The work of salvation has been complete. His blood has been presented to the Father. It's been accepted. We are forgiven. He is seated. Done. He is, the Bible says now what? He is, he is waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. How are his enemies being made his footstool? What is the vehicle by which he makes his enemies his footstool? Turn to the person next to you and say, it's you, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? How are we bringing Christ's enemies under his feet? It's his church. Well, how do we do that? Because we're seated in heavenly places with him, meaning we have authority, genuine authority, real authority. I mean, you understand all this, authority of the believer. We have authority over Satan. I love this. That little child is holding on to daddy's finger by extension of the fact that he's connected with his father, the same authority that daddy has, he has. Now, it's not his muscles and his might. It's his daddy's muscles and might. And I guess if you have to, to walk with an earthly father, Amr is not a bad choice uh, for someone to hold his finger, all right? Um, his bicep's bigger than most of our heads, and so that's a good situation. I, I would like to hold on to Amr's finger if I was ever in a bad situation. All right. But how many of you know God's right arm is much bigger than Amr's right arm? And we're attached to him, even though we're children. You might be thinking, man, I don't, I can't move in that kind of authority and power, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Yes, you can. You're seated with heavenly places with Christ. You've been resurrected with him. Hold on to his finger, and there's no telling where he'll take you and what kind of situations you'll be involved in. Because authority isn't about raw power. It's about, it's about being rightfully related to the one with all power. And when we stay rightfully related to him, here's the point. This world is a footstool world. We're meant to put our feet and just our heels to rest our feet on this world. Footstool problems, footstool issues. What am I talking about? Well, when you get to be saved, you stop freaking out about everything. When you, when you learn to be a son, you realize that if one door closes, God's got another door that's just about to open. 
You realize if you've got a situation here that's a trial or challenge or circumstance that's overwhelming, that if you learn to stay with, holding on to your daddy's finger, that it's just a matter of time before God transforms that into something good, and you look back and on, you go, wow, why was I freaking out about that? Even the worst situations in life, the most difficult situations in life, the Bible says, are just footstool problems. Because there is a glory coming. Why is the earth God's footstool? Because it cannot support the full weight of his glory. It's a footstool. We just put our heels, our feet on footstools. They don't support our full weight. They weren't intended for you to stand on. They were intended for you to rest on. So what God's trying to teach us is this is on-the-job training to learn how to rule and reign with Christ. If we can't learn how, in, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, we talked about last week, if we can't learn how to deal with disagreements among Christians, how are we going to rule the earth? How are we going to judge angels, the Bible says? And that, this is all mysterious stuff, but here's the deal. We're going to rule and reign with Christ forever. The point is we better learn how to do it now. So why does God bless you with problems? I'm serious. Well, problems don't come from God, they come from the devil. I get it, I get it. But the devil is God's devil. They're not even. They're not fighting for preeminence in the universe. No, that's already been settled. He's a created being. He's not an eternal being. The devil is God's devil. So when you say, man, the devil's just, you know, yeah. Stop looking at the devil like he's this big intimidating force and realize that God's using that loser to shape you and to teach you and I how to rule and reign with him. He's trying to teach us how to respond to situations not carnally, uh, not in fear, not in unbelief, not in pride, but he's trying to teach us how to respond to situations like he does. And the only way we get to learn how to do that, remember what I shared last week, Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered. Jesus had to walk out real-life obedience, not theoretical, theological, philosophical obedience, but real-life obedience in a real world, a fallen world, a sinful world. And guess what? If we're seated in heavenly places with him, risen with him, then he expects us to act like him in the same problems, the same situations, the same challenges. Y'all with me? So this is a footstool world. It's training us to rule and reign with Christ forever. We're getting on-the-job training right now. If we could see that and learn that God's, as a father, how many of you know a good father doesn't throw a son out or a daughter out into situations that are overwhelming or that are going to destroy him or her? They put them in situations where when you fall, you learn from the fall, but it doesn't hurt you permanently, and that's good parenting, amen? You don't let your two-year-old learn how to put shingles on the roof um, because when a two-year-old falls off a roof, that's not a good thing. But you will let your 16-year-old swing a hammer on the roof uh, because they're gonna, they have a little more agility and a little more maturity. You might not start at the highest part of the roof, but you're, you're going to gradually teach them, amen? Because you let them learn what it is to function as a son. You let them learn how to do power tools, but they don't start off with power tools. You get the point. God's not setting us up for, for destruction. He's not trying to set you up for failure with the challenges and things coming your way. He's trying to set you up to learn. Remember, David, you got the lion, and you got the, the bear, and then you got the giant. Um, he didn't start off with the giant. He started off with some things that, da- that, that David could swallow and that David could handle, although at the time they were freaking David out as they would probably be freaking us out. So the point is, let's learn to rule and reign right now. And I would ask you this question. What are the challenges that you're facing right now that you simply need to invite Jesus in the middle of 
and realize that you're actually already seated next to him from a place of authority and power. And you're holding on to his finger right there as you hold out the scepter of prayer and everything else that God's given us to rule and reign with. What are the situations where you need to bring the Lord and the reality of this footstool situation into your mind? In fact, some of the things you need to look at something in your life right now, and you need to say, you know what, that's a footstool problem. That's a footstool issue. Uh, We've got this. God's got this. God's teaching me through this. Father, what are you showing me through this situation based on my heart and my reactions to it? Have you ever had a huge disappointment in your life? And instantly, you turn to the victim mode. You start getting bitter and angry, and you start blaming people, and you start getting full of of poison, and all of a sudden, you realize, wow, I failed that test. Any of you ever been there besides me? I failed that test. Well, that's okay. Thank God he gives retakes in the kingdom, all right? You can get to take that test over. The problem is you don't want to take that test 45 times. You don't want to stay in third grade for 13 years. That would not be a good situation. You need to graduate. But you'll never graduate until you learn to view life from God's perspective. So let's learn to put our feet on top of problems. And let's not let the problems weigh us down. Let's learn to stand on top of the problem the way Jesus stands on top of the earth and rules and reigns through, through the earth being his footstool, all right? Let's take a look uh, this week. I want to focus on the last half of, uh, of verse 1 and then get into the rest of the passage here. Uh, I wanna, we, we focused in the past here last week on Christ's work for us. But I share this before, I want to I reiterate it. Christ's work for us must never be confused with our need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in us. In other words, Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is coming back. Those are all things Jesus has done for us. But guess what? If we don't cooperate with the plan, if we don't cooperate with the Holy Spirit in us, we short-circuit the purposes of God in our life. We don't want to short-circuit the purposes of God. So I want to talk today about some principles or on, on what it means to be responsible campers as we wrap up this series. And I want to give you three principles based from uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. First thing that it says there, and these are three S's. It says, keep seeking. The key word there is seek. Seeking heavenly things. It says, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, I want us to learn how to connect some dots. And, you know, there's a reason why we got the New Testament in the Greek. It's because of the incredible precision of the Greek language. God knew exactly what he was doing, uh, and he wants us to make sure we get it. In the Greek, this is amazing, verse 1. Since we have been raised with Christ. How many of you know that is an absolute fact? That's in, in the Greek, it's in what's called the indicative mood. It is an established fact. Since you've been raised with Christ, it's a done deal. That's the truth. Since you've been raised with Christ, now it says this, keep on seeking. In other words, connect the dots with me. Since you've been raised with Christ, we have the responsibility now to pursue the Lord. We have a responsibility to keep seeking after godly things. That's something the Lord has put in our life. In fact, on our responsibility, on our plate. In fact, this is amazing because in the, in the Greek, again, it means to, this is an ongoing action in our life that is actually supposed to become a lifestyle. And I want to ask you this morning, do you have a God-seeking lifestyle or do you just seek God when things are really bad? When you're drowning, is that when you reach out to daddy's finger? Or do you walk with daddy holding his finger as a lifestyle? Do you have things built into your life where if somebody came up to you, could they say, you know what, you're a God seeker? Or are you just a religious person, a church person? 
I mean, you know, this is important. God expects us to develop a lifestyle of pursuing Him and seeking Him. In fact, check this out. I want to I want to highlight that the principle here is important. This is why I encourage you to to study God's Word. I encourage you to take some classes in the roar. Uh, consider the night roar. Get involved in a life group. Get involved in somewhere where you're opening up the Word of God and studying it on a regular basis. Because here's the principle. Right belief is always the foundation for right behavior. You'll never be a God seeker if you don't have good, solid theology undergirding as to why. And so I want to talk this morning about, about why. First of all, I guess when I highlight, you know, what, what's behind the command? Why does God command us to be God seekers? What's really behind the command? I think this, if we could see that all of the world, if you looked at the at the angelic hosts, and you looked at the demonic hosts, and you looked at Satan, and you looked at God Almighty, uh, and you realized that this earth right here is a battleground for your heart. And here's the questions that we're asking. What deserves your greatest allegiance? What deserves your passions, your full affection? What is most deserving of these things? How many of you know that's, that's the battle that's taking place in the earth right now? And you'll see lots of people seeking lots of things, pursuing lots of things, but the real question is, who or what is most worthy of your continual seeking and pursuit? We will pursue those things that are precious to us. We will ignore those things that have no interest or no hold of our heart. What is it that is most worthy of seeking? And, of course, the answer to that is God himself. And so let me give you some reasons why we need to keep seeking. And some of this will be review, but it's good review. It's a good reminder. I want to give you four quick reasons why you need to develop a God-seeking lifestyle. Point number one, heavenly thinking frees us from an idolatrous focus and dependence upon earthly comforts and things. Notice I said idolatrous and independent spirit. These things will destroy you. These things will pull you away. If you love the things of this world, if you love the the comforts of this world, if you love the joys of this world more than you love the God who created the joys of this world, you're an idolater and I'm an idolater. And I want you to see an important passage of Scripture here. This is Philippians chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. It says, they are headed for destruction. Who's the they that are headed for destruction? Who are these people? Well, it goes on to tell us. Listen to this. This is important. Their God is their appetite. These people are driven by carnal, fleshly desires. Have you known people like that? Maybe you and I were one, if we think back not too far, where all you cared about was your belly. All you cared about was your paycheck. All you cared about was your lifestyle. All you cared about was your house. All you cared about was your car. These are people who are driven and who live purely on the basis of physical or even, how about this, if you read some of the old folks, they talked about animal instincts. How I many you know that's what animals do? They live to survive. You're not an animal. You're a person made in the image and likeness of God. You live for higher things than just your belly, your paycheck, and your comfort. But it says that these people, their God is their appetite. How about this one? Maybe you can relate to this. They brag about shameful things. This is the locker room talk that we're all so familiar with, at least some of the guys would be familiar with where we brag about uh, our sexual immoralities, where we brag about our drunkenness, where we brag about how we ripped somebody off, where we bragged about how we beat somebody up, or whatever the macho standards we used to have. How many of you know those are old standards? Those standards have been done away with. 
We don't brag and boast about shameful things any longer. We don't talk about those things as if they really matter because they obviously don't matter to God. But I want you to see the next reason these people are headed for destruction. We're talking about eternal destruction. They think only about life here on earth. Isn't that amazing? I'm really challenging you this morning. How much time do you spend thinking about eternity? Because the Bible says there that people that are headed for destruction never think about eternity. They never, it never comes into their mind. They're not thinking about what's to come. They're not thinking about the realities of what's ahead. How many of you know eternity is a long, long time? We should be thinking about where we're going and why we're going there and what's waiting for us there. Because, listen, people whose God is their appetite, people who brag about wicked things, people who think only about life on this earth, the Bible says, are headed for destruction. But look at verse 20. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Now, if we're honest this morning, our status as resident aliens is not something that really hits us most of the time. We feel pretty comfortable. We're citizens of the United States of America. Uh, This is our home. Um, But the Bible's clear. We have a dual citizenship, do we not? And this is our secondary citizenship here. So be patriotic. Love your country. But how many of you know where this isn't home? I bet that was the start of this message. This isn't home. We're resident aliens here. So we've got to develop an understanding of where we're going and why it's important because it will shape the way that we're called to live right now. Our fundamental identity is we are citizens of heaven. Number two, seeking heavenly things enables us to respond to the injustices of this life. I told you, you know, there's so many Christians They get all bent up in the headlines and the newspapers and all the injustices of the past. And man, they got their fists like this holding on to all the things that happened to them and all the people that hurt them and all the people that ripped them off. And oh man, they're just, they live their life like this. If you had a perspective of where we're headed, you would open your hands and you'd say, why in the world am I getting trapped with all this garbage in my heart? that's keeping me right now from moving and walking in the blessing of God. Let me just pop everybody's bubble you are going to face injustice after injustice after injustice this side of eternity. Hello? But I'm a Christian. All the more so. See, again, we're living, we're living in a nation that still has the vestiges of a godly worldview and a godly set of... We, this, this place has been ordered under Christian principles for the most part. You not, not find a nation like it in all the world. Christians in most countries right now know exactly what I'm talking about in justice. When you have your home destroyed, when you have your family murdered in front of your eyes, when you can't get a job because you love Jesus. Um, when, try living in North Korea right now and talk about injustice if you're a Christian. Why are we surprised with injustice? We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that's operating on the principles of this world and, we, and that's living in darkness and that has a, a, a ruler named Satan who twists and perverts truth. Why are we surprised with these things? Why are you surprised when it doesn't work just the way you had a plan? Let those things go. But how do you let them go? You'll never let them go. Listen to me. You'll never let them go unless you believe you're going to recover everything that has been wrongfully stolen from you and that every pain, every hurt, every injustice will not only be made right, but right and then some. There's reward. It's not just made right. It's not just getting you back to ground zero. 
It's right and reward. That's what heaven is awaiting. So listen, this is why it says in Hebrews that the saints could endure the plundering of their homes, the robbing of their goods, the destruction of even life itself, and do it with a smile on their face because there was something ahead of them that was burning in their hearts. It was called eternity. They believed in this. It changed the way they live. i got to move on here. You guys are asking too many questions. All right, number three. A heavenly focus fuels our need for endurance and perseverance now. Romans 8.18, what we suffer now is nothing, nothing, nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal in us later. I love this great quote from a guy named Gavin Ortland. He says, in order to persevere through the fog and fatigue of life, we need a mental image of the eternal shoreline. Isn't that good? You're going to have fog and fatigue in this life. But if you can see the eternal shoreline ahead, it will give you the endurance you need to persevere. Number four. Why are we God-seekers? Why do we need to keep seeking the Lord? Because a heavenly focus purifies our hearts. I shared a couple weeks ago that we are a bride preparing herself for her bridegroom. I shared weeks before that that this path that we're on, this hike that we're on, this camping trail that we're on is called the highway of holiness, which is why we're to lay aside all the sin and weight that easily besets us, the Bible says. I'll just say this. If you knew that sin could disqualify you from eternal increasing joy and and every desire of your heart magnified in ever increasing capacity forever, would you look at that sin differently? Would you look at that temptation differently? Yeah, absolutely you would. Absolutely you would. I'll just say this. If you had to go through the most hellish existence on planet earth maybe maybe it was uh you know incredible attacks or whatever but you had to go through the worst existence on planet earth but you knew that you were going to enjoy the greatest existence forever would you not reach out and embrace that cup and drink it in full knowing that what was ahead of you was unbelievable and it was forever Why would you let the immediate disqualify you from the eternal? You know, this is why the the Bible speaks with harsh condemnation on Esau. Because that Esau spirit is terrible. It says, give me a bowl of porridge now over the blessing of God on my life forever. It's It's the spirit that says, I'm living for my carnal appetites. I'm hungry. I'll trade everything of value for a bowl of porridge. Are you kidding me? I'm humbled when I read the testimonies of missionaries in the past who were forced to watch their children, their wives, murdered before their eyes. I just read of the, you know, where they would cut the eyelids off of a person so they could not shut their eyes. And they'd force you to watch your wife being violated. They'd force you to watch your children being murdered in the most horrific ways imaginable because, because of your faith. And I read with tears as dads would encourage their wives and children to endure this momentary hurt and loss and not to reject Jesus because what was coming was so much greater. Imagine being a man of God, encouraging your children under the most horrific torture, all because of their love for Jesus. And and for the Lord to say, this is nothing. This is nothing. 
compared to what is coming. If you knew that and you understood that, you would be able to even look with supernatural love on the people that were doing that because you feel sorry for them because of what your inheritance was going to be and what their inheritance isn't. Which is why, isn't it amazing that Jesus, in the moment of his greatest agony, could look out and say, forgive those people, God. If Here's what he was saying. If you only knew, if you could only see the purpose for my coming and what I'm trying to give to you, if you could just get it, but you're not getting it and you're going to miss it. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, perspective is everything. And if you believe in eternity, God says, keep seeking things that are above because it changes the way you live now. And eternity matters. If eternity was not real, we should just quit all of this. There's better things to do on a Sunday morning. There's better ways to invest your money. There's better ways to invest your time. But God says there's nothing greater than what awaits us. And whatever we go through in this life, it's worthy. It's not even a sacrifice compared to what awaits us. What is this? It's nothing. Nothing. Nothing compared to what awaits us. So it changes the way you live. It changes your value system. It changes your heart. It changes the way you see things. Because we have a secret insight on what's coming. This is why in verse 2, we get a second C, a second letter S. First one is seek. Second one is set. Set your mind or your affections on things above. The Amplified Version says this. Set your mind and keep focusing habitually. Make it a habit to think about things above not on things of this earth. You know, it's been said over and over again that we shouldn't have be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good. Do you know that the Bible teaches just the opposite? The Bible says that unless you are possessed with the reality of where you're going, you will never live this life to the fullest. You'll never sell your life out for Christ. You'll never invest your life in kingdom things unless, unless you're thinking a lot about where you're going to spend eternity. It's just the opposite of what we've been instructed. And we're not talking about having your head in the clouds to where you're of no earthly good. We're saying that if you will think about heavenly things, it will change. It, it, it will put a, a passion in you. Has anybody ever had this thought besides me? The clock of this life and my time here is ticking. It's ticking right now. Do you hear it? It's ticking God spoke to me when I was in India ministering to the pastors, and I looked over, and Pastor Hanuk had a a big, beautiful hourglass. God said, take that and preach on that for the next session. I did. I said it right there in front of us. We all watched as I preached the sands of time. It was amazing. When we got to the end, it was gone. The last tiny little grain of sand was gone. And I just challenged them, let's spend our lives to the max. You cannot regain lost time. This is our stage. This is all we have on planet Earth until Christ returns. This is it. And when I hit middle age, which snuck up on me, when I hit middle age, all of a sudden it hit me. Dude, you're getting old. Er. And uh, and, welcome to the club, right? But isn't there a sense, I mean, okay, you look at your money and you're like, wow, look at what I've saved up. For what? Money that's in an account is not helping advance anything. Now don't hear me. I, 
don't get me wrong, please. Yes, yeah, save up for a rainy day. Be prudent. Make investments. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying this. Where, where's the point to where you've stored up enough and then you're dead? Leverage your time. Leverage your money. Leverage everything about you for things that are going to go ahead of you and you're going to enjoy forever. See, you never have, you never, I'm speaking pastorally, you never have to argue with a Christian about tithing who understands eternity. They're sowing it because they're excited that this is going with them. Everything they don't sow stays here and is gone. Everything you do sow goes ahead of you. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus taught. So do we want to live forever and be well taken care of? Or are we looking to take care of ourselves and insulate ourselves for this tiny existence called life that is passing away and is not eternal at all? You know, this verb is very hard to define here in the, from the Greek to the English because it has what was called a visceral or heart connection, affection, but also a head connection. That's why if you're reading out of the King James this morning, it says, it doesn't say set your mind on things above, it says set your heart on things above. Well, which one is it? Both. Make sure that your guts are so full of passion for God that your thoughts follow the desires of your heart and that your mind is continually renewed with the greatness of the glory of Jesus so that what you are thinking about also fuels your heart. Heart, head, heart, head, heart, head. It's a one-two punch. How I mean, you know the devil knows Jesus Christ is God, but the devil doesn't have any affection for Jesus in his heart. Are you hearing me? You can know your Bible, read your Bible, but you need affection, holy affection in your heart, which causes you to pursue what you love. It's both, head and heart. So let me quickly wrap this up. What do we set our minds on? I'm going to give you some food for thought here. Set your mind on God, the one who created you, the one who loves you so much, the one who is willing, the Bible says, because of his great love for you to send his only son. Think about the love of God. Think about the power of God. We're going to have a class coming up uh, this year, Nature and Attributes of God. That will blow your mind. Meditate. Read A.W. Tozer's book, Knowledge of the Holy. Write these down. I'm helping you out. I'm giving you fire for your head and for your heart. Knowledge of the Holy, read that book, meditate on the attributes of God, understand the beauty of his being, the awesomeness and power and greatness of his being. That's one thing we can set our minds on. Sam Storm says this, the essence of heaven is the vision of God and the eternal increase of joy that's going to be found in him. How about this? Why don't we just meditate on Jesus, the one who gave himself willingly to rescue us from our sins? Jesus, who's the door. Jesus, who's our righteousness. Let's, let's seek first the kingdom of God and put Jesus first. Let's give Jesus priority. Let's make sure we desire Jesus above everything else. Let's make a deliberate choice to follow Jesus, obey Jesus, think about Jesus, pursue Jesus. How about, are you with me? Make him and set our minds on him. Make him the focus of our thoughts. How about this one? Let's set our minds on the Holy Spirit. Let's be aware of his presence throughout the day. Let's listen to his voice. Let's make sure we don't quench 
his presence in our lives. Let's, let's make sure we're hungering for more of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. Let's labor to be acquainted with the Holy Spirit. How about number four? Why don't we set our minds on God's Word? Are you reading? You know, I started this year off challenging you. Find a Bible reading plan and read your Bible every day systematically, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, read your Bible every day. Why in the world would I challenge you to do that? Because the scriptures are like wood that you throw on the fire of your heart. If you have a hard time understanding it, use a paraphrase. Start with something you can get. Listen to me, don't start reading the old King James Version and start with Leviticus. You'll have a very short uh, time. Or numbers, all right? It doesn't mean it's not inspired. It means there are some portions of Scripture that are deeper and broader and harder to understand. But here's what's true. If you'll submit your mind to the truth of God's Word and to the Holy Spirit, He will teach you. And He will give you understanding. He will reveal the goodness of God. He will speak the promises and the Word of God to your life that you hold on to when you're going through challenges. Make sure you set your mind on the Word of God. And I started with this, and I'm going to end with this. Make sure you set your mind on home. When you're living as an alien, a stranger, a refugee, which is where we are. You know what? This is what's amazing. Refugees don't want to come to America. They want to go home. They want to go back to the place they grew up in. They want to go to the place that they remember as a child. Now, if that place was an absolute war zone and place of, of, of pain... That might be different. But how many of you know when you've been displaced as a person, you're looking to go home? We need to start thinking about what home is going to be like. We need to start thinking about who's going to be waiting for us there. We need to meditate deeply on the truths of our eternal home. And I want to encourage you with a couple of things. I was just talking to my Aunt Mary Sue this week. She said, thank you, thank you, thank you for directing me to that Randy Alcorn book called Heaven. Simple title, Randy Alcorn heaven. She said, I've been meditating and reading that book. She said, it has been changing my life. I picked up another book by Randy Alcorn. This is kind of the the mini version. Maybe some of you would like this. Here's the name of it. I'm giving you some good, I'm giving you logs for the fire. 50 days of heaven, reflections that bring eternity to light. When I started helping undergird my theology of heaven. I started getting truly excited. I started realizing that as a finite person pursuing an infinite God that I will never be bored in heaven. Hey, Chris Korzanowski, you like to have fun. I know Chris. Chris is, Chris is like uh, Brent's twin. They're like, uh, they're like twin party animals. They like to do stuff. They like to have fun. They like to, in their earlier days, be mischievous. In fact, I just got to tell you, Chris, I'm telling a story on you. Why? Because I have the microphone and I'm the pastor. You'll have to find your own platform to tell these stories. But when we first moved in down here, Chris, and I think it was Brent, snuck into my house and took the mattresses out of the upstairs bedrooms and put them on top of the dormer of my, of my window of my house. The mattresses were pivoting on, on top of my dormer. And I drove by one day and I looked up at my house and the bedroom is on my roof, all right? Now, again, I'm not sharing this to give you ideas. I'm just sharing this to tell you that there are certain parts of creation that God has made that get bored rather easily. They're looking for things to do. 
And uh, you might not be one of those persons. You might be excited that in heaven you're going to get to rest. You're going to get to put your feet up and rest. Others of you will be going, what are we going to do today? All right? For all of you that are saying, what are we going to do today? Let me just tell you, your eternity will be filled with never-ending expansion, growth, capacity, and every beautiful virtue that you can possibly imagine. Here's, here's, the, here's the good news. You will never experience one millisecond of boredom or routine in the presence of God on a renewed earth, living with a renewed people, doing the things that you have always longed to do. You'll go from joy to joy to joy, ever increasing. You'll go from knowledge to more knowledge to more knowledge, ever increasing. Here's why, because you're still finite, and you're pursuing the one who's infinite in all of his beauty. So here's a little suggestion for you. If you would think about the beauty of God, the glory of Jesus, the, the earth that's going to be completely transformed for us to live here with Jesus, who will be in his glorified body where we can touch him, see him, talk to him, look into his face forever and ever and ever, no sin, no limitations, nothing but absolute, unbounded love and joy and glory in God Almighty. If you could begin to think about that. Some of you that are struggling physically right now with things that hurt, parts of your body that hurt, parts of your body that aren't working well. Listen to me. We continue to contend for healing. We're seated in Christ in heavenly places. We have authority over these things. But listen to me. On a night when the healing hasn't manifested and you're in pain, it helps to think about the glory that awaits you. When you're misunderstood or spoken ill against or going through loss or, you know, I just, you know, we're, we're cleaning out mom and dad's house, helping to pack that up to move on. And we came across some stuff where there's a whole picture of all these beautiful pictures of, of my dad's mom, Nana. Some of you that, know, that knew Nana, what a precious, glorious person she was and is. And you look at those pictures of people that you love. You think about all those good memories. We, were, we came across some quilts that she made cleaning out my basement yesterday. Here's the difference. I didn't cry in the quilt, fall into depression. The tears that I shed were tears that said, I can't wait to be with that lady again because she is a great lady. And she loved us so well. But she's going to love us well forever. And I'm going to love her well forever. And I'm going to love you in perfect love. And you're going to love me in perfect love. And we're going to celebrate each other. And we're going to be on a forever growth pattern in God. Which is what eternity is all about. So you know what? In light of all that, I'm going to put my feet on top of this planet Earth. I'm going to put my feet on my life circumstances right now. I'm going to look at the situation in light of where I'm going. And you know what? There's nothing to sweat about. There's nothing to fret about. There's nothing to fear about. There's nothing that's going to knock me off that place of resting in God. Because that's the reality of who I am. It's the reality of who you are. It's the reality of our future. And in the meantime, we're going to work together, love each other, pull one another up, encourage one another. Man, let's set our affections on God. Let's seek Him. Set our minds on him. And lastly, we're going to share in his glory someday. He's going to share the greatness of who he is with me and with you. He's going to share the planet he created in perfection with us. 
It's amazing that God would do that for us. So I'm going to think about that. I'm not going to think about CNN or CBS or NBC or I'm not going to listen to all. I'm not going to think about those things right now because there's greater realities that are ahead of us. And that perspective causes us to live differently. So listen, if you're going to seek heavenly things and set your mind on heavenly things, make sure this week we share the greatness of this amazing life that we have. We're like the beggars that found out that we're going to die here if we stay in the city. So let's just go in the enemy's camp. We could die there too, but it's better than starving to death. And what happened when they showed up in the enemy's camp, right? (laughs) Plunder. Come on, we're a bunch of beggars that just got given everything. Why don't we act like it? Let's go out and talk to people. Let's love people. Let's find people that don't have any hope. And by the virtue of how we carry and conduct our business, let's make sure that we let them know there's a strength and a joy and a happiness and 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 a peace that rules in our hearts because we're not dictated by the things of this world. We're not playing by the same rules. We have a better kingdom. Let's live that way this week. Stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. Oh, can we just let out a sigh of relief? (laughs) Man, can you see yourself holding on to your daddy's finger right now? Everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. You know, I heard Bonnie up here laugh. I love to hear, Bonnie, I love to hear you laugh. I can't imagine what your glorified laugh is going to be like. I mean, I like, I like this laugh, but your glorified laugh is it's going to be great. Bonnie just told me that her husband, former husband, uh, who didn't know God from a hole in the ground, and who we have... Uh, ministered to over the years, over and over and over again, Uh, right as he's getting ready to pass, he says this, I want to make sure I don't miss out on heaven. How do you know the mercy of God? Right on the edge of eternity. What awakens in his heart is a desire to make sure he doesn't miss it all. And they were able to pray with him and lead him to Christ. And, and now he's gone. I just, I just marvel at the mercy of God. Lord, there are people here today that need mercy. We're all candidates. Lord, we need mercy. We need help. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us where we've dropped the ball. Forgive us where we've failed. Forgive us where we've neglected to order our lives around kingdom things. Lord, forgive us. In light of where we know, isn't this amazing? We know what awaits us to some degree. We have a higher responsibility to order our lives around things that matter. So Lord, help us to live up to the calling and salvation which you've secured for us. Lord, I pray that the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace, just like the old hymn teaches us. Lord, let everything that doesn't matter fade into the background. And Jesus, may you take preeminence in our heart and in our lives. We love you. We honor you. We give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen.